0: friends, it's so good to have you here for another GBC Mission podcast, where we have a casual conversation about faith and where God is at work around the world. My name is Jodine, and I'm part of the GBC Faith Community. And through this series, we'll be talking with the organisations whose projects we are supporting through May Mission Month. And today, we're talking to Kevin Keegan, who is the CEO, National Director for FEBC Australia, and hearing about their work in Mongolia. Kevin! Let's
1: go! Yes, it's great. Let's, <laughs> let's go. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Talk about for, whatever you like.
0: Thanks for joining us today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your own faith journey?
1: My faith journey. Well, my faith journey is very, um, very varied. Um, you know, I was reflecting on that the other day. It, if, if I had to encapsulate what my faith journey and also the influence has had on my ministry, I would, would say it in the word of love. Now, when I mean love, I mean when you, when you consider that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself, all the law and the prophets are contained in this, everything. It's, it is the most important thing. So I look at my family, okay? So I didn't come from the Christian family. Um, many people in ministry, I'm, I'm an ordained Baptist pastor still, uh, but many people in ministry have come from that sort of uh, very solid Christian line. And, and I, I don't know how I found myself in ministry, because uh, my mother got pregnant when she was about 16 years old. Didn't go too well. That was with my older brother. And um, my dad was a smoker and a drinker and a gambler and a taxi driver. So it was quite a a, um, a suburban um, working class family that I came from. But I tell you what, um, one of the things, even though within that dynamic was a sense of love, a sense of uh, worth, a sense of value of who we were, Regardless of whether we failed or not, we were still cared for. And and even though as a child you don't really recognize that, mm. as an adult I think you can reflect back on that. Interestingly enough, if, if this podcast was about parenting, I'd, I'd sort of look back at my, my childhood and think uh, when I was younger, my parents probably did a, a pretty mm, inadequate job of parenting, and yet they did a fantastic job of loving their children, which in today's society is something that sometimes is sadly lacking they provide them with all types of um, classes and educational opportunities but they lack the very ingredient they need most so that was that was a part of my upbringing in which then I went into uh, employment and, and I worked for an airline for 11 years and uh, did extremely well in that. As a, as a young guy coming out of that, I was uh, in charge of people twice my age. But because my mother had had this religious sort of uh, background from her heritage, she did imbue those sort of values and principles on our life. But I have to say religion in those days for me was more lore than it was relationship.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, it was really until my late teens, early 20s that uh, the impact, and again I would say that's why it comes back to that word of love, it was the relational aspect of people that connected what faith was about, not faith in words or faith in head, but faith in life and faith in action, mm. so that impacted me, and uh, at that stage, I had to make some calls about you know what what directions in life do I face. And so because I'm one of these people who get very um, committed to things, um, that caused me to leave a, a place of employment with two young children, one 18 months, one six months to... to Charlie going to theological college. What a crazy, crazy thing that was to do. But that was really a mission call because I, I really went there because I wanted to just I just wanted to pack up everything, take my little family and go and serve overseas and share other, with others about this uh, this this connection and this relationship that I'd found and this uh, life-changing love that that can really impact people's lives. But of course, you know the the school of the day said, "Well, you can't do that unless you're trained," and etc. And and that was a good discipline. Everything in life serves a purpose, and it was a good discipline. So then, my faith journey led to to uh, out of out of that theological training, uh, pastoring churches, which I ended up doing for twenty plus years. Um, but again, my theme, um, I ended up pastoring in a location in the. Uh, north area of, of New South Wales on the central coast in a lower socioeconomic area, an area with high unemployment, an area with high domestic violence, an area where many broken families, marriages, um, many social issues. But I tell you what, it was an extremely wonderful place to minister, to be able to share hope with people and to be able to sit with people and to able to understand the dilemmas of people. In one sense, I guess my family background had give me some little training into that. And interestingly enough, in another podcast perhaps, um, my, my parents ended up coming living in that area because they wanted to be close to their their grandchildren. And um, I saw my father come to faith in his late 60s, early 70s, and he came to faith, and, you know, very unusual for a person uh, of, of his particular background mm-hmm. who'd been orphaned as a child, had lots of social issues himself, who'd come through Catholicism, who'd, who'd done many things and was this, uh, this wild boy who used to, even on the central coast, sit in the garage and, and drink beer and gamble and etc. etc. But, you know, his, his story is a whole story in itself because he came to faith by the love of the broken people who themselves had come to faith in the life of our church. Broken people ministering to broken people changes lives. Love changes lives. And then lo and behold, um, coming out of that ex- experience, um, going to a, um, being called to a very large, uh, wealthy, affluent area in the n- northwest of Sydney, where it probably was a dramatic culture shock for me, because people are very able to placate their difficulties with their resources. So after a short time there, I found myself um looking again at what my calling was. Where where was I supposed to be? So you know, I took some time out and uh, and again, God was very gracious, people were very gracious. I was um funded by people to say, "Why don't you just wait on God and see where he would have you in your next journey of life?" Mm. which was very kind of them to do that, and uh, God led me into the very place that I started off in mission, and in a mission that was kind of uh, technical, pulling in my, it was like a convergence. They often talk about convergence in ministry and life and a convergence of of various aspects of my my career when i first started off my working life my ministry because my ministry had a lot to do with uh, consultancy and helping not only the local church but churches across new south wales and and structural and and missional and then brought myself into into a role where i now am in far east broadcasting febc where over the last uh, almost 10 years now that I've been in this role, God has used those various gifts in different ways with local leaders and local people. And I guess the, the thing that, that impacts me the most still is the way that love changes lives on the field. It's not their theological knowledge. It's not their doctrine that they're taught. It's acts of kindness and love in the name of Jesus that changes lives and transforms hearts and changes attitudes and rebuilds communities. And it's unbelievable. So every day I hear stories from colleagues in, in various parts of Southeast Asia or Central Asia or the Middle East or Africa where impacts have been made. So, yeah, that's, I hope it gives you a bit of an overview of <laughs> quite a journey. Yeah. That
0: was a, a 30,000 foot view of a very vast, expansive story. Um, and so many uh, obviously chapters and ones that are still unfolding, can you tell us a little bit about the work of FeBC across the globe
1: febc is 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 one of those organizations that um, is not widely known and yet has been around for over seventy years and when I say not widely known, it probably was many years ago and but FeBC uses media as uh, so primarily radio and that 's what it was kind of mostly known for. Some years ago, when radio was such a powerful medium when people would listen to radio dramas and listen to the cricket on radio and all of those things, but then media changed and we have continued to change with it and so we use various uh, mobile apps and and online broadcasting and in fact uh, new means of of media that aren't even as well known in our our uh, with people today as far as our interplanetary filing system um, strategies that will get rolled out in decades to come, but much, much better ways of communicating. But we still primarily use radio because in most parts of the world, even though there is television and other medium, that's what people listen to when mm. they're working on the field or if they're they're closed in a, in a, in a place because of persecution or, or various religious um, backgrounds. So FABC is is a mission that uses media to speak into the lives of people, but it's not a one way medium. It's it's about getting to the people. It's 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 about mixing with the community. It's finding what their needs are. It's carrying out interviews like we're doing here. It's 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 like talking to people and then sharing it back, sharing and giving voice to people, and so. It deals with many issues. It finds out what the issues, whether they're health issues, whether they're, they're educational issues, whether they're attitudinal issues to do with, with the rights of, of women or children or or whether it's changing behaviour. It's uh, emergency communications in times of disaster and tsunami or earthquake or volcanoes or or various things of being able to provide life-saving, life-giving information. And in many places, as far as in a, in a Christian way, it's equipped and educating people who maybe only through media are able to, to listen, to grow, to be nurtured, to be encouraged, to be mentored, and so it utilises that as well. And media is powerful. You, um, you not only speak to one person, you speak to hundreds at a time. So, and then therefore, then we use media to then work in with other organizations. So, other organizations come and do various radio programs or podcasts or online um, programs to do with people. So, we work very much in partnership with all mission, whether it be World Vision, Tier Fund, OMF, SIM, Wycliffe, um, all of these organizations to work together to impact lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. so we're supporting uh, a project in Mongolia this year which is kind of an extension from last year's project, but moving to the mining town of Nala. and um i don't think many people have gone to Mongolia. Can you tell us a little bit about it what what 's it like? Well
1: well, people need to understand first the history of mongolia right so so Mongolia today is is a separate nation it's 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 probably the second largest um Landlocked sort of nation that that is that exists, but most people wouldn't have recognised it during the time of the the Soviet Union because it had been a part of Soviet Union from from around the um, the nineteen twenties. So it was all swallowed up in that. Although some people would would probably in the know the English name of Genghis Khan and the mm. Mongolian Empire. Absolutely. So. Um, Temujin, as he was known, or Chinggis, as he's known in, in Mongolia, we call him Genghis because of the movies, but, but Chinggis Khan, the Mongolian Empire in the, in the 12th century, 12th, 13th century, was the largest continuous empire that the world has ever known. So it stretched from, from China, Southeast Asia, right across Central Asia to Europe, a massive empire. Larger than the Roman Empire, larger than the Greek Empire. It's a massive empire. And, um, but then, of course, many things changed at the breaking up, but it was a, a massive empire. Mongolia today is sandwiched between Russia and China. In um, in 1989, when when communism broke down, and and really, and then in, in 1989, 1990, when Mongolia became then a, a separate nation again, in its own right, still was re- recovering then, like many of the Soviet former Soviet nations. Religiously, by that stage, even though they'd had a, a history of some Christianity, at that stage there was almost no Christians in Mongolia. In fact, in 1989, there may have been like half a dozen at most. And in fact, our leader, Bart Jargle, was one of just a handful of Christians. And he became a Christian because various people from the UK and the USA went in as teachers when the, when the Soviet Union was broken down to help educate the people and teach them English. Now, our director at that stage was at a bit of a loose end, so he decided that he would like to learn English, and it was a Christian woman who was teaching English, and he came to faith, and a little cohort started of, of believers in that stage. And, and so um, you ask about, but, but widely, Mongolia. Mongolia is a, is a very sparse nomadic area. Probably 30 40% of the people are nomadic. Forty-five percent, I think, of the, the populations live in Ulaanbaatar, the capital city, and then and then the other capitals around. So its its population is very sparse. Mm. In fact, it's it's a fascinating place. They, if you ever watch any any YouTube videos in um, of Mongolia, they've got these uh, six-year-old kids riding horseback, bareback. Mm. They they race and they use the young kids because they're light. <laughs> I don't know how they hang on, you know, <laughs> um, but it's the country where, where they, um, they, they still have the eagles and they, they have the archery and they have the it, – it's, it's a fascinating place where they, they love their meat because it's so cold. They yeah. eat so much meat yeah. and fat to build up their own fat, <laughs> yeah. I think, to keep themselves warm. Mm. And, and, and they live in gurs, these, these skin-covered, cover, like, tents, right? Mind you, when you go inside one, they've got the like the the coal burners, and we'll come back to that. That causes problems, and <laughs> they're lined with skins that they're beautiful inside. But I remember I remember driving many hours out into a rural area, and there was uh, uh, a few girls there, and. And and years ago, of course, when because they're nomadic, they would stick them on the back of, of horses and things. These days you see girls on the back of like trucks. It <laughs> doesn't look quite the same yeah. as the history. Modern but, interpretation. Um, but they're they're toilets, right? They they're their toilets only come up to like waist height and they're outside. Wow. And like it's down to minus forty, right? And it's got no roof and it's just <laughs> a few walls and you sort of think, yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't want to go at night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, seriously. So, so Mongolia is, is an interesting place because um, steeped in Buddhism, shamanism and atheism after, after communism don't have an understanding of, of who Jesus is. So our, our work there, and particularly to our nomadic people, our radio broadcasts there are very important, very significant. When people are on the move, they can continue to hear, and many people are hearing the name of Jesus for the very first time. Uh, some of our programs uh, are at Christmas time where they, they do carols and they, and they tell the Christmas story, people are hearing the Christmas story for the first time, giving them at the same time blankets or cups of hot soup or, or caring. And, and Mongolia has a lot of social needs, therefore, because of that. Coming out of the, the, this um, this sort of um, cold and difficult situation where a lot of the industry is mining, um, there's there's a lack of understanding, particularly among men, of fatherhood and what it means to be a father because they've just known it to be hard
0: and, and aggressive and rough. Surviving, I guess.
1: Survival, yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. So we try to teach them about the father heart of God and what it means to be a father, and they're very receptive to that Mm. because they understand that there's been that lack in their own lives and they don't want to be a harsh father Mm. to their sons and their children, but they don't know how to do that. They've Mm. never had any models of that. So, and and even for the church, um, when you understand that, that the majority of believers have only come to faith since 1990, you could say. So only 30 years. We're only talking 30 years. So here is a first-generation church. First-generation church is a church where there hasn't been a church before, and so in this, in this environment of a first-generation church, they don't have what we take for granted here. They don't have the mm. traditions. We argue against traditions. As a pastor, I, I would sort of say, you know, you'd beat your head against a wall about some traditions, but you suddenly realise that some of the traditions that we, we do value, that we stand on as an anchor, they don't even have. Mm. So when things go wrong, they don't understand that God is a faithful God and that even when things go wrong, you know, lo, I'll be with you, even though you walk through dark valleys, and I am there. And mm. fear not when you go through those, those rivers and those waters, because I am with you. And that needs to be reinforced because when things start to go wrong, they say, well, what is this faith? Mm. But there is no understanding or heritage of, of those that have walked that journey before that can encourage and, and uphold. So a part of our, 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 broadcast is is storytelling and and relaying that and and testimonies of faith and and almost like when Paul wrote the letters to the early church that was the first generation church why did they go through those difficulties because it was a new journey for them and it is for these people today
0: mm. yeah so can you tell me a little bit more about the media programs in this project and how they work in a Mongolian context
1: so the media programs that we Operate there in in Mongolia. Address then some of the social issues that are being faced in Mongolia, and so they're they're very focused. They're, they're, there's programs that are focused towards women, that are focused towards men, that are focused towards mothers and children, um, and the programs again operate in the in the context of, of first finding out what are the needs of the people. So starting where the people are at. So whether it's it, it, it's it's with men with fatherhood. You know how do we deal with that? Whether it's it's with men, with uh, um, their sadly their abuse with women, and and you know like what are the triggers for that? What causes that? Uh, For women to find out well. How do they cope in these situations? What resources do they have available? Um, uh, what sort of care do they need? What sort of uh, – and, 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 and running sort of focus groups of those things, having discussion times, and then drawing on that information to put together – our, our broadcasters are very skilled – And they also draw on the resources of others. So we work with counselling organisations. We work with other government organisations that have these sort of uh, um, programs that they want to disseminate. So they can only go to one town at a time. And if people are on the road and they're nomadic, how do they actually reach these people? So what we do is we give voice to those things through media to be able to reach those people that are mobile that are that are outlying in cities or that are in cities that are closed off because some of these issues whether it be abuse or or violence or or some of the sad things that we recognize are behind closed doors And people are embarrassed to talk about them, or culturally they find that how can I talk about my husband or bring these things to light, but they still need that support and that encouragement and that help. They need to know resources. They need to know their legal rights. They need to know many, many things. And through media, we're able to get through those closed barriers. We're able to speak into hearts, and sometimes that word of encouragement can make all the difference to know that there's somebody out there that understands my situation, that can connect with my hurt, that can articulate what I'm feeling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it switches on lights. It, 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 it gives empowerment to people to reach out for the resources that they need. And I guess that's the part that always thrills me because sometimes you, you know people need that kind of support, but how, how do you convey that to them in a non-threatening way? Even if you observe someone physically and we'll walk up to them and, and sort of say, you look as if you could do with this help, they'll recoil because they don't want to admit that to a person. But when they hear that through a broadcast and they can make an anonymous phone call or they can send an SMS or they can connect in some other way to a person who can counsel them, and 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 because we have a lot of talk back radio but unlike what we might recognize in Australia it's very positive it's mm. it's it's very empowering that is the way our projects work mm. and then what we do is we we are then able to broadcast local gatherings of people where where our counsellors might be going to a particular area or region to be able to run workshops or, or to be a point of contact or, or just to run a mother's club or a, or a listening group, and we invite those people to come along, and we're always staggered by the number of people that turn up because you, you throw that out there and you don't know if anybody's going to turn up, but mm. they do. Mm. And, and then, therefore, we know that it's met a need, the fact that people have responded, and uh, seeking those resources. Mm. So within this project, in the NALIC project, we're we're working in two air, two ways because it's on domestic violence. Where we're well in three ways, really. We're working at giving empowerment to women, seeking to to give them the resources that they need to know that they're heard, they're not alone, that there there are means that they can they can move forward, um, or make decisions that they need to make. We are looking to to. To work with men, to say what is it that triggers you? how how do we build respect and 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 honor into relationships? And what does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father? And also with children, because children are witnesses of these things. Mm. And and sadly, then children go on to model behavior either consciously or unconsciously of what they've experienced. And so we're trying to—that's a harder area to intercept, but at least provide some tools that may be able to help in that way. Mm. So it's a—it's a very important project, and it, and it's one that really came out of the, um, the funding from last year that we we recognise that we want to pilot this in a particularly difficult town mm. because it's a mining town, and if it can work here, it can be reproducible.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I was reading an interesting stat from the FEB website that said 68% of the world's population do not have internet access. I think in an Australian context people have a meltdown when we can't get internet. However, a majority of the world don't use internet in the way that we would assume and therefore radio is still the viable um, popular option. Um, So it really makes sense how, especially in in a place like Mongolia that you say is so sparse and nomadic, That radio makes a lot of sense and draws communities together. I remember the um, wind-up radios you brought last year. The kids loved those, you know, and just you know something that doesn't need batteries um, to operate, and then uh, with a light as well. It was yeah, Yeah. it it was amazing. Well, in many parts of the
1: world now, it's it's mobile apps. Mm. So while internet might not be available, there there is still a, a mobile network that can download and stream various programming. And to be quite honest, that's that's more, that's more secure for us because governments can, governments can stop the renewal of licenses. So right. we, we broadcast in, in FM um, through Mongolia, but of course with the restrictions that are coming over Russia and in China, we don't know what impact that will have in Mongolia. And um, we just don't know. But with mobile apps, whether it be you know on the Android platform or the iOS platform, there's not the same. There's not the same ability to block um, IP addresses or or to block radio um, programs because it's it's different. Mm. So we use in many countries of the world um, our mobile apps over over a number of programs. And again, new technologies. There are newer technologies that also feed into these sort of things. Because we have to do that,
0: mm. and that's really interesting, isn't it? That uh, while you've got this message in media form, it's got to be fluid and shaped not only to the cultural context and the different situations that are going on, but also the technology that's available and what best suits that culture. Yeah. And
1: and and you know, in many parts of the world, we have to we, we're always respectful of mm. the, the countries in which we operate we only ever use local people and it's in the local language and and uh, and we're respectful of the country mm. so in many parts of the world it's impossible to broadcast religious messages because of the difficulty of 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 basically death or imprisonment so we have to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves and so many many times we have value based programming that that is, is um, biblical values. You know, we can, be, we can be speaking through the Beatitudes. We can be speaking on family and marriage and life and all the things that the Bible speaks about without necessarily always overtly mentioning Scripture. However, people know, people know that this is different. And so when they inquire of us, when they SMS, when they Facebook, when they text, when they email, when they ring, then we are free to dialogue with them. Or when we run listener meetings out in rural areas. So we're respectful. We take people on a journey. It's all about,
0: you know, faith
1: is a journey. And you're starting where people are at and you share with them. And if you share with them in the context of love and you actually care for these people. you know, if I was harkened back to, to I began by telling my dad's story, my dad had come to church for many decades over his life. And sadly, in Australia, some people see unbelievers as a target to win, not as a person to love. And most people, even if my my dad was never well-educated, in many respects he was probably illiterate. He could only print capitals and he could only read the Daily Telegraph. But he was smart as far as the world was concerned. And he could pick someone who was genuine to someone who wasn't a mile away. The thing that broke his heart was love of people who cared for him first and worried about the result to God. And it's the same in cross-culturally. We we care for people, we love people, we share with people, we want to bring people into a wholeness of life and rewarding families and marriages and children. And not because we We have a target in mind, but because we want to see that Jesus came to bring life in all its fullness. And if we can bring fullness to their life, we can trust God for the rest of the journey.
0: Kevin, it's been fantastic speaking to you today. We appreciate the work that FEBC is doing, and especially uh, in Mongolia. Uh, We've loved seeing the team uh, and uh, the work that they're doing there, and it's great to be partnering with that. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, I hope you've gained some valuable insights into the work of organisations we're supporting through May and you can get more information at febc.org.au We recognise we have a global online listening community with downloads of our podcast from over 28 nations and we invite you to join us in supporting May Mission Month by making a donation because these organisations cannot do it alone For more information about the five projects we are supporting, go to baptist.org.au forward slash hmm 2019 Standing for May Mission Month 2019. Thanks for listening.